Father God, we come before you in prayer once more and just ask again for your blessing on our time together as we pour over your word in hopes that we grow to know you better, Lord, that just more and more we choose you. Bless us in our efforts today, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you've been here for the past few weeks, you know that we are in the Gospel of John. This is part three. Part three, and uh, I'm just right now realizing that I didn't edit something on my notes, so I scared myself half to death just now. But it's cool. I have the right thing in front of me. We're good. You guys are definitely good, I'm, but I'm good too. Uh, our teaching today is uh, John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. And uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that this piece of writing is probably my favorite in all of the library of Scripture. And let me tell you why. Just two reasons. Uh, the Gospel of John is reason number one. The Gospel of John is it's a little weird. Um, John is a gifted storyteller. And in part one of this series, we did a little comparison of the intros to the other three Gospels. This one is just different. The Gospel is just different. I get, I get the feeling that John kind of marched to the beat of his own flute, if you know what I mean. And if you notice that I said flute and not drum, that is on purpose. Because he's a little strange, he's a little off. The other Gospels start with a prophecy or a foretelling, a family lineage, a detailed account of the, the life and ministry of Jesus. Not my boy John. No. John comes out swinging with the weirdness. He's talking about the word and the light, and he gives personhood to these things. They have characteristics and purpose. And one other thing that John does, this is the second thing, is that he includes in the beginning of the story a foreshadowing of the end of the story. And some of the best creative works that we know uh, begin this way. Forrest Gump begins this way. Inception begins this way. Saving Private Ryan begins this way. They all start by showing you a piece of the ending. And it's an effective tool in leading the reader to want to know the rest of the story. Ultimately, we know that he is speaking of Jesus. But the way he gets there is, is strange. And I can, I can relate to strange. It's a <laughs> It's my cup of tea. Uh, in 2006 and seven, I was 21 years old. I lived on the Central Coast. And while I was living there, one of my very best friends, one of guys, one of my very best friends as a 21-year-old man was a 53-year-old homeless alcoholic poet. No joke. His name was John Madison Kelly, and I just loved him. I related to him, and we would sit on the sidewalk near the ocean, and we'd just talk music and life and Bob Dylan and Jesus. It was an unconventional friendship, but it fit me well. This is why I love the Gospel of John so much. Um, uh, another person that I love very, very much is one of my favorite human beings in the world. Um, he's here today. He's, he's, he moved seats today. I usually look over there to find you. How long have you been sitting there, Dave? Has it been? That's okay. <laughs> Keeping me on my toes. I like it. Well, if you know Dave, you know that Dave is a, a retired Navy chaplain, and you know he's he's uh, he's got a very ordered life. When I go to his house and see see his uh, reloading station and, and and his shop and his his woodworking shop, everything is very orderly. And I was telling Dave, man, John is just one of my favorite pieces of writing, and he said, mine too. And I thought to myself, I knew you had a little weird in you. Yeah. You can kind of, like, if you, if you know people on a personal level, and, like, if you were to ask them, like, hey, what's your favorite gospel? And if they answer Mark, you know that they're a certain kind of way. If they answer Matthew, they're a certain kind of way. And if they answer John, they got a little bit of weird in them. Just, so here we are, all of us weirdos, 
We are here in the Gospel of John chapter 1, and we're only in the third paragraph, verses 10 through 13. And in just a few words, we have this cryptic description of Jesus' arrival onto the scene, so to speak. So if you have your Bibles with you and you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and jump into John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. And they read like this. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now, I read and reread that passage roughly 100 times this week. Um, I'd read the Gospel of John a couple of times in my life, but I read and I reread this passage at least a hundred times. And it was, the reason that I did was, it was, it was striking a chord in me that I couldn't quite make, make out. Um, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. It's like, it's like a feeling that you get when you're trying to remember something, but then later you, you realize that you never knew it in the first place. And I was like, oh wait, that's exactly what this passage describes. True story, quick story. About eight or nine years ago, I stopped attending a church because the pastor was preaching messages that were too convicting. You can just set that aside. More on that later. But just remember that little nugget right there, that about eight or nine years ago, I stopped attending a church because the pastor was preaching messages that were too convicting. Okay, hang on to that. One more time, verses 10 and 11 read like this. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, there are two words in those statements that stand out to me, and both of them have to do with where the people of God fall short. And those two words are recognize and receive. The text tells us that we did neither of those things. He was not recognized, and he was not Received. Now, verses 12 and 13 are the exception to those statements. 12 and 13 say, But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. We'll look at those as well. But for right now, let's keep focused on 10 and 11. So one more time. 10 and 11 say, He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Question. Here's a question for us. In simple terms, what does it mean to recognize someone? Like, let's, let's, let's take a look at this from more than one angle. There's actually a few ways that we might understand this word. Uh, so one is that recognize might mean to identify someone or something from having encountered them before, to know them again, to recognize, to know them again. Or two, it might, it might mean to be officially regarded as, as like the leader or a figurehead of like a nation or a culture or a group, as in like he was recognized as the president, he was recognized as the king, he was recognized as the, the minister of whatever have you. So that's what it means to recognize. So to that first degree of recognition, identifying somebody from having already known them, that for sure is not taking place because we know that up until very, very recently, in that point in time, the world had not heard from God. 
Remember that there had been roughly 400 years since the last recorded prophecy. So at that point in time, any faith that the world had known was really just handed down from generation to generation. There really, there really wasn't any relationship with God. It was kind of just a cultural thing. At least that's my, my assessment when I study the, the text. And I don't know about you guys. So it says the world did not recognize him. I don't know about, about you guys, but uh, not once in my life have I ever been like walking down the street and seen somebody and stopped them and said like, hey, hey, wait. I know this might sound strange, buddy, but are you that guy that my grandfather's grandfather's grandfather knew? Like, that's what a ridiculous impossibility, right? Once more, verse 10 says, he was in the world and the world was created through him and yet the world did not recognize them. No, they did not recognize him. How could they? Now to that second understanding of what it means to recognize, to regard someone as an official, a leader, or somebody important. Well, they didn't recognize him in that way either. And again, how could they? But a better question might be, why couldn't they? Somebody walks through that door right now. Would they have to ask who the pastor is? Probably not. It's a, it's a reasonably safe assumption based on nothing more than simply where I'm standing for that person to identify me as the pastor of this church. So why didn't the world recognize Jesus? It's a simple answer. The world did not recognize Jesus because they didn't know him. And it didn't matter that the world was created through him. They just didn't know him. And in regard to recognizing him as a leader or a person of significant importance, why would they have? Jesus didn't present himself as, as a ruler. In fact, he spent little time with the elite. So you couldn't look at Jesus and just look at him and, and tell by his clothes or by his company that he was a king. Verse 11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. On Monday, pardon me, one moment. I was doing great for like six months not needing water. I don't know what happened. On Monday, when I began writing this message, I wrote down a few thoughts on a piece of scratch paper. And the first thought that I took note of was the difference between recognition and reception. And not, not quite like the definition of the two words, but like their juxtaposition in our piece of scripture today. He was in the world, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. So the world at large didn't recognize him. And in regard to his own people, they too fell short. They did not receive him. The difference between recognition and reception lies in the next two verses, 12 and 13. And those two verses read like this, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. 
This is the part where we become included in the conversation. I don't know if sometimes when you're reading scripture, you know, you're kind of looking for the part where, where you fit into the equation, because sometimes it's, they're just, it's a story about other people, and it's not you, and it doesn't apply to you. Well, this is the part where we become included in the conversation. This is also where I became convicted about what this passage meant to me. There's this phrase that I use somewhat frequently. In fact, I think I used it last week. And that phrase is this. The word of God is thousands of years old, fresh every day, and always right on time. Hold on to that one. One more time, verses 12 and 13 say, But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Now what that says to me is that at some point, some made a choice. Some made a choice to receive Jesus, regardless of whether or not they were aware of his infiniteness, regardless of his stature in society, they chose to receive Jesus. He was unlike any king they'd ever seen before. He was a servant. And they chose to receive and recognize this servant king. The difference between recognition and reception is a matter of free will. The people who were adopted into the family of God were not part of a long-winded family lineage. They were you and me. The world that did not recognize Jesus, the people that did not receive Jesus, weren't excluded from a future with Jesus. They just simply did not choose him. And that seems like a harsh assessment, but remember that to all who did receive him, all, he gave the right to be children of God. The word of God is thousands of years old, fresh every day, and always right on time. You can read the same passage hundreds of times over, and that passage will never change. But your circumstances might, your understanding might, the application of that understanding might. I've never, and I mean that, never, I have never understood a passage of Scripture too late. It's never missed the mark. It always convicts me of my shortcomings. It always comforts me in the now by the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And it always gives me a path forward in the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second thing that I jotted down for this message was a question. And that question is, has Jesus come into your life without you recognizing or receiving him? The answer is yes, by the way. For everybody, by the way. The answer is yes. The degree may vary amongst us, but, but the answer doesn't. 
Has Jesus come into your life without you recognizing or receiving him? The answer is yes. What do we say sometimes when when somebody is overly concerned with themselves and not much else? We say, oh, they're just in their own little world. Don't mind them, they're just in their own little world. Has that ever been you? Again, the answer is yes. And again, to a varying degree, sure. But the answer is yes. The question is then, when the answer is yes, why is the answer yes? Who or what are you choosing when you're not choosing Jesus? Because as a general rule, we don't typically choose nothing or no one. We are wired to worship, and we're going to worship. So what are you worshiping when you're not worshiping Jesus? Who are you following when you're not following Jesus? Your answer may be different than mine, but I know many of you very well, um, and I know that our answer is at the very least similar. In fact, I can show you my answer right now. So can most of you. And it seems like an oversimplification. Yes, I know it is redundant to say that we're all on our phones too much. But it's not, it shouldn't just be a phone. In the late 90s, it was just a phone. And it was a Nokia and it had snake on it and that was it. I can feed so many addictions from this little computer that fits in my pocket. No matter, no matter how you want to paint that, whatever it is, whether it's shopping, whether it's social approval on social media, whether it's pornography, whether it's one thing or the other, it's all available right here at the unlocking of a screen and a swipe to the right, left, up, or down. My wife is, uh, is currently reading a book called Who Are You Following? It's by Sadie Robertson. Full disclosure, I have a hard time taking Sadie Robertson seriously. Here's why. Here's why. Some of you are laughing, so I know that I'm not alone. It's that she's 18 years old. She seems overly happy and bubbly all the time, and I just can't. She's like an 18-year-old blonde Ned Flanders. Just, ugh. Well, anyhow, my wife is reading this book, and she shared a portion of it with me, and I was like, oh, that's really good. I think I want to include an excerpt of that in my, in my next sermon. So she hands me the book, and I, and, I, and I see that it's written by Sadie Robertson, and I was like, ah, she got me. <laughs> also, I should, I should include this. Um, I should include that Sadie is not a bubbly 18-year-old. She's actually 26 years old, married, a mother of two, and by all measures is an outstanding human being, um, whereas I am a judgmental idiot and should sometimes just shut up. Um, <laughs> Enough. I'm probably going to have to edit that out. The foreword reads like this. Pursuing Jesus in a social media obsessed world. Isn't that a spot on description of one of our generation's greatest challenges? Pursuing Jesus can be hard enough without roughly 4.2 billion, with a B, active users on social media. The voices of our world have gotten a lot louder with family, friends, peers, businesses, skeptics, trolls, and even our neighbor's dog filling our feeds. It's so easy to get distracted by all the noise. Over half of the global population can now be seen, heard, acknowledged, liked, disliked, celebrated, and criticized by virtually anyone, anytime, anywhere. 
and our attention has become the commodity. We're told to look, we're told to dress, we're told to think, we're told to talk, and we're told to act a certain way, and this creates an overwhelming amount of confusion and pressure, leaving our minds full, but our hearts empty. And we need to examine our our own hearts as we navigate this landscape, what we post, what we watch, who we're following, and ultimately what we're seeking. Because as followers of Jesus, our ultimate aim is Jesus, period. One of Jesus' most critical commands consists of two simple words, follow me. And it wasn't an invitation based on convenience. He didn't conveniently... uh, compact it into 280 characters or ask people to subscribe to his channel. He wasn't looking for a thumbs up. It was a clear call to obedience. Jesus called people to deny themselves and to come see. Jesus called people to experience abundant life, to receive true rest, to be free and forgiven. Jesus called people to be used by God in even greater ways than he was and to spend eternity with the King of kings, a follow to Jesus isn't just a tap on the screen. Following Jesus involves receiving a new identity. He, not our culture, defines who we are. He wants us to see ourselves as he sees us, no more, no less in the same way that I understand that God loves me all the way, all the time. No more, no less, regardless of what I bring to the table. And the way he sees you is as lovable. He sees you as infinitely valuable. And he sees you as fully capable through Christ. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. Friends, what I found in that passage What I found in those words was an indictment of the modern church. And in one of the last few messages, it was mentioned that we have have the benefit of looking back on these writings. Most of the things that we read have already taken place. And when looking at the fact that the world did not recognize and the people did not receive Jesus, there's a huge difference between then and now and between us and them. And that difference is that we have at some point made a choice. We have chosen to follow Jesus. We have chosen to recognize him as our king. We have chosen to receive him 
And what that means is there, there actually is no longer an us and them. We are them and they are us. We are the world that Jesus has come to. We are the people that he calls his own. The question, the challenge for this week, if you will, is, do you recognize him? Have you received him? Now, somewhere toward the beginning of the message today, I told you that about eight or nine years ago, I stopped attending a church because the pastor was preaching messages that were too convicting, and that's true. Now, in truth, I didn't know at the time what that meant. In fact, I didn't have those words. At that time, I just knew that I didn't like the way that I felt after I left church, and I was going to get a new church. All I knew is that I showed up to church to conduct a transaction. I gave roughly one hour of my time and 20 bucks, and in return, I wanted to to leave there feeling like a better person, kind of like morally superior. I go to church, what do you do? (laughs) And it was more like an exchange of goods and services than it was a relationship with Jesus. And I left that church, and I came here. Because when I was leaving that church, I just, I felt bad and I didn't like it. And when I found this church, I, I hoped that, that this church would preach a, a softer, easier gospel. And one day I realized that I had actually already messed up. Because in that other church, maybe even before that church, at some point, I had asked Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And when I did that, I received the Holy Spirit. And one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is that he convicts us. And I tell you that because I know that there are some here today that are in that mode of operation. You show up, throw a few bucks in the basket, and and we're hoping that we can leave here feeling good about ourselves today, morally superior. There was a time in my life when I wished that that it worked that way, but it doesn't. It never did, it never will. So I want to tell you today to take this encouragement. If you are in this room today, you're here by choice, I think. Blink three times if somebody made you come here. (laughs) If you are in this room today, you are the world that Jesus has come to. You are the people that Jesus calls his own. And I want to offer you a caution. Don't be the world that does not recognize Jesus. And don't be the people that do not receive Jesus. If you've chosen to call Jesus your Lord and Savior, King of Kings, however you friend, brother, all of the monikers that we give him. The names don't matter. He just is all of those things. And if at any point we signed up for that, then friends, we have the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will convict you. What I thought was, I mean, I just, I thought like, man, why, why do I not feel good? 
I'm going to church. I've been clean for almost two years. What's happening? Like, I want to I I just show up, put my 20 bucks in the basket, and call myself a good boy and kick rocks. And there was just this Sunday morning routine. But I had decided to become the world that Jesus comes to. I had decided to be the people that Jesus calls his own. And even though I had done that, I just, I only recognized him inside the building that we call church. I decided to only receive him inside the building that we call church. And that's not how it works. I don't know if it's a too far a stretch to describe what I'm describing in relation to the text that we're reading, but it makes sense to me and it convicts me to ask of you guys, don't be the people that don't receive Jesus. Don't be the world that Jesus has come to, but that doesn't recognize him. If you came here today and you wanted to just put a few bucks in the basket and leave here feeling good about yourself, I really sincerely hope that I wrecked your plans. And I really sincerely hope that you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, as King of Kings. And I really hope that you receive Jesus in your heart, that you might obtain the Holy Spirit to convict you of your shortcomings, to comfort you and give you a path forward in the grace of God by the power of that Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we ask that you would just illuminate the areas in our life that don't reflect you. Lord, that you would bring to light the areas in our life that don't recognize you. God, we pray that we would be in full submission to you, that our hearts would break for what breaks yours, God. Help us to take you with us wherever we go. And to not view church as a transaction, but as a spiritual discipline and an opportunity to know you more. Lord, we pray that you would bless our efforts as we carry on through the next week until we can meet again. We love you and we thank you for everything that you are and everything that you've done. And we pray this in your powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.